joining us for episode 14 of Unscripted Equity Curiosity with Ami Joseph, Hedgei Tech, Hedgei China, Felix Wang, and yours truly, Hedgei Communications, Andrew Friedman. Today, we're going to talk about one of Ami's recent shorts with Medallia and how it ended up uh, in the hands of private equity, but still uh, ended up being a win for Ami, ultimately on the short side. So he's going to give us a little bit of a background and, uh, you know, and per usual unscripted equity curiosity, we'll ask a bunch of different questions and we'll see how it goes. Ami, why don't you take it away? Well, okay, so the story with Medallia was they came public in um, July of 2019. And at the time, there was a lot of excitement around um, software as a service IPOs, um, in part because institutional investors talked to the brokers and they trade with them all the time, and this is a very important business for the brokers. And on the flip side, the institutional investors, um, they get a, um, they want a piece of the IPO in advance so that they can own it into the IPO. And so when it pops on the IPO, which is for some reason there's this logic, I, I don't think that will last forever, but there's this logic about um, tech IPOs popping on the first day. They can sell, sell the day up or something like that, right? And, and they get a, a free performance boost uh, for their, you know, for their institutional, you know, investment uh, hedge fund or mutual fund, whatever it is. So this is like a, an important category. So a, lot of, a lot of IPOs have like heat to them, like meaning like people want to buy it. Now, um, we, so we, we don't want to stand in the way most of the time, right? Because like when the bulls are running, like, you know, why, why stand there and be run over? But in this case, um, we did a pre-IPO deep dive, and like, which was a tabula rasa, like we were, you know, clean sheet of paper, like what is this thing? And we discovered that Medallia was like the grandfather of this industry. They had they had founded uh, the company in 2001, like right after September 11th. They had won hotels as like their first real category, like some very large hotels. They were doing, they had a very service-oriented approach where they wanted to make it really easy for their large customers to adopt and use the technology. So they had a very strong professional services team. It was like a white glove or white shoe type of, you know, whatever the service name is. And, um, and essentially what they were providing was um, ability to digitally survey customers to um, input all the data coming in into analytics dashboards and present that to management teams so that management teams could look and, and this was particularly in the beginning it was particularly well suited to hotel chains or auto dealerships or, or, or bank branches anything where you should have rinse repeat experience from one Honda dealership to the next or whatever it is and yet you are seeing that some customers walk away disaffected or you're looking at the data and your own data and you're like well this 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 uh, division of ours or this hotel or this chain or whatever it is or this location is underperforming and why is that and you start running the surveys um, and you get a lot of data and then they can start to see that there's something wrong with the customer experience and so this this category of customer experience sort of became a thing out of the world of surveys and Medallia was like a leader and a pioneer in the space. And, and they went after very, very large customers, like Fortune 500, Global 2000 types. And the deals would take a year or two from introduction to like actually close in terms of like win the deal. 
And then it would take another like six to 12 months for integration because one of the key features of Medallia was that um, they integrate with all of your backend systems. So everything was all preset. Everything was all perfectly um, integrated so that the management team could look at a dashboard that not only had survey data on it, but was also looking at like sales from that day's stores. Now, the sales data and all of that doesn't come from uh, Medallia systems. It comes from uh, your Oracle system or your SAP system, um, but it's integrated with Medallia so that you can see it all on one page. And those integrations were, uh, were value, well valued. And this continued for a while. And Medallia was founded by two, um, uh, two consultants, former BCG partners, who, um, who um, launched this company and were the face and name of this company. And they were like leadership of the company as a husband and wife. And they were like just sort of like well-known in tech in Silicon Valley. And they bootstrapped it because they had, they had like a, 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 a good wins early on. And they also had a very um, – uh, service-oriented approach. So they were making uh, services dollars so they could bootstrap the company. At a certain point, they took VC money from Sequoia. And Sequoia, obviously, big name, the guy who came in, the, the, the specific partner who invested, big name partner, a um, lot of wins under his belt, um, like famous, you know, kind of like, you know, famous person from Sequoia. And he invested, capitalized the company, and put it onto the next trajectory. And that was, for me, that was almost like the beginning of a big change, not necessarily in a positive way. Because what was happening was, starting from like 2012, so this company started in 2001, as I mentioned, after September 11th, but by 2012, the industry started to, the industry meaning like the technology industry started to figure out that there was a thing here, um, that one could make real money here. And not just that, but the, the, the tech industry didn't want to go after this market with like a high-touch approach the way Medallia has a high-touch approach. They wanted a low-touch, low-cost, low, like, you know, hey, you can grab a survey off of our, you know, you sign up, pay, you know, swipe a credit card. It's cheap. It's quick. We have data for you. You can run all kinds of services. Yeah, it's not integrated with your back end, but you're still going to get a dashboard with analytics and all that kind of stuff and, and more and more features over time because you know, we're, we're investing not in people. We're investing in digital, um, not like in people in terms of like IT services, people, professional services, but we're investing in like software. And so we're growing the software capabilities. So the industry became a big competitor for Medallia. And we started to notice that over a period of time, especially after the uh, investment by Sequoia, Medallia's was, was still winning. They were still growing. They were still adding customers. But it was slowing. The rate at which they were winning started to underperform the growth of the rest of the industry. And then, about a year before the IPO, dun, 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 they, the two co-founders, who basically for 18 years, this was like their life, and they were all over every video made, every commercial made, every advertisement, every interview, every product decision, every hire, like literally, they had built the culture at Medallia. They had built everything at Medallia. They walked away, and Medallia brought in the former CEO of Calidus Cloud named Leslie Stretch. And we had covered uh, Calidus ticker was C-A-L-D, and we had been short because 
uh, Leslie was a classic salesperson who believed in the sales team, believed in acquisitions, giving my sales team more to sell, didn't really believe much in R&D, wasn't much of a product person, um, and really figured he could like hide all the sins that come from everything else. So like Calidus had grown up as a company that was very strong in an area called Configure Price and Quote, which is like sales software. And we figured out that they had been losing massive amounts of share for years in that category. Um, they were buying awards to make it look like they were still still at the top of the industry, but they had lost considerable share. And they were making it up by like throwing, buying tons and tons and tons of acquisitions every year. They were tiny acquisitions, like you know, $10 million acquisition, $20 million acquisition. And the acquisition train was like, at first it was like in the direction of you know, the same buyer. But eventually it started to be things like graph database as a service, which has nothing to do with sales and uh, accounting. And their biggest one was uh, a learning a tool like a like Cornerstone on Demand, and so they bought a competitor to Cornerstone, and that actually by the end of the time they were sold, that was like a third of their revenue. So Leslie was just he was like, my failures in in revenue uh, growth generation I will cover up with M and A, my failures in in win rates and product in my core category I will cover up with buying more awards, and it worked because along the way he met. Uh, you know, McDermott, uh, who Bill McDermott from SAP, who is a winner, generally speaking, but also tends to fall for uh, shiny objects in Windows. And he bought Calidus um, because Leslie has a really good accent and a really good handshake um, and, uh, and, can, and a glint in his eye. Um, and even though SAP already had a lot of these individual assets, the assets that they were acquiring in Calidus already, those products already existed inside SAP. And like a lot of SAP people were like, what? What are we spending $3 billion on? But anyway, we got that one wrong because it got taken out. It wasn't the end of the world, but you know, it wasn't, wasn't, wasn't a win for us. But as soon as Leslie was hired at Medallia, we knew what was going on, right? Like it was like, we were, what we, and that's exactly the playbook he instituted. Like the product of Medallia could have evolved. They could have spent a lot of money and focus and energy and brought in the right people to accelerate product innovation and win in that direction. But instead, they bought a whole bunch of cats and dogs. Uh, the core product continued to deteriorate. They went from losing relative to sh share to losing actual share. Um, and um, uh, the stock got taken out. So the, basically, the IPO was range was supposed to be 16 to 18. Like three days after the IPO, it was forty-four dollars. Um, we put the short on at forty-two, uh, and uh, in COVID, it went all the way down to its like true fair value, which was like I don't know, the trough price was uh, in the teens, and it should even have gone lower. Um, technically, it was like sixteen, I think, at the trough, and I think fair value for this thing is like ten or twelve dollars, because you'll never get like th this was one of these cases where. They pulled the wool. Leslie successfully pulled the wool over everyone's eyes. So no one really did the math of like, okay, well, how profitable could this be? Oh, not really everyone that profitable because 20 to 25 percent of the business is IT services, and it has to because that's the key differentiator. So what's the profit be on the rest of it? Oh, well, you know, 80 percent gross margin on the rest. But what about the opex? Oh, oh, wait a minute, we're adding costs 
every year, every every few months, because we're buying more companies, and that's more OPEX that we're inheriting. So we're never <laughs> we're going in the opposite direction of like it's like reverse leverage, the wrong direction. Um, and if somebody ever did the math on like how much like free cash flow this thing could spit out, it would be worth ten to twelve dollars. Um, and anyway, that's kind of like the overview of the story. Um, private equity bought it, even though we 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 actually so even though we were short the stock at one point, we put the stock in front of a in front of an activist, because we were like, look, it's it's out of favor, and there is a way to turn it around. This was like a year more than a year ago. There still was a way to turn it around. Today, I don't think so, but there was. Uh, still a window. Now I think the industry has moved too far too fast. I don't think that they can leapfrog at this point. Or at least it would take cataclysmic growth and change and all that kind of stuff. Um, but um, but we put it in front of activists and the activist was like, it's too damn expensive. And this was like 25, the stock was 25 bucks. He's like, it's too damn expensive, even at 25. And we kind of agreed. So it wasn't like really much to do. But anyway, that's kind of like where it, get, it get, got taken out at around $34. $34. Um, and I think that private equity we've seen in software have made a lot of similar acquisitions where you have to scratch your head thinking like, how are they going to make money on this? Um, all right, I'll let, uh, Andrew, I'll throw it back to you and see if there's any questions. So, you know, that's really helpful. And I, and I just, I really enjoyed when you were, um, you know, writing on it, just Leslie, it's just a name that, you know, will forever, uh, stick in my mind. Um, I guess like what was the like the accounting side? Like you mentioned that you know there's all these acquisitions. Like, were you able to get any edge or do any analysis around like what the true organic growth rate was for this company? And then the other and kind of part and parcel to that is like what did the balance? I'm just curious what the balance sheet looked like over this period. Like, were they doing these deals like using debt or was it just issuing equity? Like. And yeah, I'll just leave it at those two questions for now. So they had at the IPO, they raised a bunch of cash. Um, so they had cash on the balance sheet, and they still had cash a little bit even before the IPO. From they did a kind of like a late stage IPO round where the you know the chairman of Sequoia, um, the chairman chairman of the company from Sequoia brought in you know some friends to invest like right before the IPO. So they had cash. Um, and oh, by the way, funny story about him. This is oh, this is a good one. Oh, this is a really good wrinkle here, and then I'll, I'll answer a question after. But right, so basically, like in in the we had discovered all this like weakness, right? But of course, like no no company goes public without something good to say. So going into into the IPO, they had they showed seven quarters of results, not eight, seven specifically seven, not twelve, <laughs> not sixteen, seven. And all seven were showing acceleration, that each quarter was better than the next and growth was really taking off. And and so you're like, that was the that was the puzzle piece that the hook that got everybody to be like, Oh, they're offering this thing a little bit cheap on the IPO, a little bit discounted the growth rate, look, this thing has momentum, right? They're like re accelerating. Um we had figured out that it was just like one large customer win that they had from the year before that that came on in the fourth quarter of 18 and was populating the wins for the the strength for 2019 and we were like well the risk is that they'll win more of these but like it seems fewer and fewer of these are going to happen not more and more um 
and we had anyway all kinds of analysis on the product side why. So we shorted at 42. A few weeks later, they reported earnings, and already at earnings, they showed decelerating results on the quarter, like literally first quarter out of the gate, just like three weeks did, right? after the because, IPO. Because that's because that's what you do, right? You 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 pump up your numbers right into you know raising capital. It's great, <laughs> right? So we so we put out a note, and our note was you got sold. Okay, that was the title of our note after the after earnings. And it's true, Leslie is a great salesman. He fools a lot of people. Um, and so, uh, so the stock went on earnings. It was like it had already come down. It had already come down to like down to 35 or whatever it was before earnings. After earnings, like the day after, it was like 26, 25, something like really radical. Like it had dropped like massively. And the Sequoia person wanted to show how much confidence he had in the business so he bought in the open market with his own money, something like $12 million something dollars. I think if I'm I, – somebody on the phone, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think it was something like that, which sounds like a lot of money. But for somebody like this, it's like a drop in the bucket if you're trying to make your $300 million position <laughs> worth more money, you throw another $12 million at it. Like, that's okay. That's okay. And, like, you know, because it's like Sequoia's a private company, it's not like any of us ever know if like Sequoia like lent him the money to do it or what were the terms or like where was he getting that 12 from or whatever. You know what I'm saying? And was that like granted to him from the from the shareholders or whatever, you know, from the board? Um, and so the stock immediately stopped falling and went back up to like 31. But like, you know, because everyone's like, ah, oh, well, he's got a track record or whatever it is. And I'm like, this is a joke. This is a joke. He was willing to sell shares at the IPO at 16 to 18, right, a minute ago. The IPO closed at like 20 or 21. Stock went to 44. Now that it's at 25, he wants to buy shares on the open market? Why, why was he a seller at 16 to 18, like a month before? It was ridiculous. The whole thing was stupid. It was stupid. Um, but to answer your question, so um, actually, um, Yosef developed a really good way of tracking Medallia's revenue. And um, not only that, but we also did the work that even though, like, he was buying all these cats and dogs, like, can you imagine if a company you're covering, like, three times a quarter buys, like, a $13 million company or a $20 million company? It's like, you know, it's like every quarter. What, you're like, oh, what, wait, wait, what was the growth rate? Like, what, like, what kind of, like, like, yeah, what was, like, the growth rate that they were putting up? Like, so the percentage at the IPO, dollars? right. So at the IPO, the before, right before the IPO going into it, was 27% year-over-year subscription growth, subscription revenue growth. And the first quarter out of the gate fell to like 24. Got it. So I guess the point there is like if they're doing all these little acquisitions, like it doesn't look like a lot, but it can actually be really accretive to your consolidated growth rate. Well, so, Even though it's, so yeah. yeah, so we were doing the work on these acquisitions. Like each one we'd roll up our sleeves and figure out like what is this. And Leslie was buying, like, he wasn't, it's, he has a formula. He didn't buy growth companies, right? He buys these co- small companies who it's not growing anymore. The founders or whoever, the owners, can't take it any further, right? They want out. It's, it, it is a technology of some kind. And they're willing to sell it, like, cheaper than his EBD sales multiple. So if he's trading at 15 times EBD sales, he'll spend seven and, uh, or six. 
and um, that's his return. And it's, it's, it's just a formula of like how much revenue do I need to keep my growth rate at a certain level to keep my stock at a certain level, and that's the math. That's his formula. So he goes to look to solve for X as opposed to like what business should I buy that's going to make our product stronger and make more companies want to buy from us. That's not his question. His question is how do I solve for X? And so we kept finding all, and so we kept track of all of his acquisitions, and we kept track of all the revenue that was coming in from his acquisitions, and we just sort of like tried, and we had this tracker for seeing like how fast it, during the quarter and the quarter out his revenue was growing organically, and we we were keeping track of the delta, and his organic revenue growth like fell and fell and fell and fell, like basically consistently all the way through and now it's something like 8 to 10% organic revenue growth or maybe the most recent quarter I think was 12% but it's in that range um, and so uh, so basically like that was we were able to to create a really good tracker because we were just keeping track of like all the revenue that was brought in over time um, and of course like he brought over his yes men uh, from Calidus including the CFO CFO, when we were when we were following Calidus, also seemed like a real lightweight. Like, just could never get it deep into the numbers. Could never even get deep into the technology. It was sort of like, I don't know. It was like a yes person to to Leslie, and she would come on every quarter and say what he wanted her to say, which is the acquisitions don't add any material revenue. But like materiality is like a subjective definition, right? Like, what do they mean by material? Is it ten percent of revenue? One percent? Five percent? Sure. Uh, like a, yeah. Yeah, but I remember like following like I, when you know I used to, when I covered healthcare IT, there's this company called Allscripts, and they were it was a health it was an EHR company. They were losing market share. If you just did all the looked at the data, it was pretty obvious. And like the bull case was that this is a growth company that they're basically just going from a transition from license on premise software to subscription business, right? And I mean, you know how like that can be kind of painful for any software company, right? Because you know it, it makes your um, you know, the revenue growth, making that transition to revenue growth kind of can look punk for a period of time. Um, but like, it, but it was obvious that they were just losing market share. And so like attrition was the biggest issue, but they were doing all these little roll up acquisitions and they were saying it wasn't accretive, but like, you know, if it's like 20, $30 million here or there, like, yeah, sure. Like on a, on a base of like a billion or whatever, it's not that large, but if you're only talking about like, you know, small growth, Right, it can be really accretive to your growth rate, like into in you know as a whole. So I I'm I hear you on that. Like it's it's funny. Yeah, like, it is relative. Yeah, especially when your valuation is tied to growth instead of tied to free cash flow, like we are like in the last three years of software. So um, at one point, software was based on you know kind of like growth rate applied to free cash flow. So there was like a truth factor, but now it's just based on growth. So like all you have to do is keep that top line moving and, you know, don't worry about the D de- don't worry about it guy. Don't worry about the details. I once had a CEO, he followed this guy, Jimmy Peterson of Microsemi, who um, he just wanted everybody to get on the train. And uh, so anyone asking tough questions, he'd be like, Hey, Hey guy, don't worry about that guy. You know, he never knew anyone's name. So he called everybody guy. Hey, hey, Joe, hey, Joe. Everybody was Joe, you know, like, don't worry about that guy. It was a little bit like that, but he was, you know, he had a, a good, good accent. I think he was Scottish, and he had a strong handshake and a glint in his eye, and he said all the right things. Um, oh, my God, at one point, uh, this, is a, this is a classic Leslie move. Okay, here's, here's a good one. So, so before the IPO, 
some employee of, of Medallia went on Glassdoor and was like, we, we, we look at Glassdoor uh, and usually Glassdoor stuff is like about politics and, you know, that's unfortunate, but it usually doesn't affect the stock so much. Um, but, uh, but this one employee was writing some really interesting analysis about Medallia, almost like an, like, a, like an analyst, like a financial analyst, about its product, about its opportunity set, negative, all negative. And um, also concluded by saying, those of you who are waiting around for the IPO, um, uh, you're wasting your time because the IPO is really only going to help the executives at the top, right? And uh, it's not going to help any of you, right? This was like six, seven months before the IPO. Now, Leslie had been CEO already for like six months. So Leslie decides to respond to this person on Glassdoor, right? So everyone can see it. He wrote on Glassdoor like a response, and he was like, you know, in all my time and things like that, Medallia is one of the most democratized, you know, uh, cap tables I've ever seen, right? Like that. And reading it at the time, you're like, oh, wow, this guy really, you know, he cares about the employees and, like, this makes sense. It's rational. It's good thinking, like, sustainable. Like, you know, you want all the stakeholders to win. You don't, can't just be, like, two people win, walking away with all the money, right? And so he writes that. There's no way to verify it at times. It's a private company. Fast forward, like, eight months, they go, <laughs> they go public. <laughs> and uh, looking at the cap table, and basically, like, the – um, average employee was going to get something like 400k of value at the IPO price. Um, the average of the top 12 or 13 executives were going to get something like four million dollars of equity value, and Leslie was going to get 65. <laughs> I'm like, oh, democracy! It's exactly Leslie's kind of lie. Like it's the kind of thing that you can't necessarily. Um, it's, it's not a lie if you believe it. <laughs> you can't exactly like. Disprove him in the moment. You actually have to roll up your sleeves and do work to figure it out, or time has to pass to prove him to be false. So anyway, that's a classic Leslie. And, 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 and also the other thing about that comment that he wrote that was like stood out to me was he'd only ever really worked at, as an executive at Calidus, where he would only have seen the, the cap table of Calidus. So how else? What is he? What else is he comparing this to? You know, he wasn't like he wasn't like an executive of twelve different startups and things like that. You know what I mean? Yeah. So do you know is, is Leslie sticking around after this deal? Are they keeping him on board? You know, I'm, did he get a nice payday out of this? Like, oh, he's getting paid. Uh, <laughs> if he's maybe the only one getting paid, he's getting paid. Um, no, I think he's I think he's aiming to go buy more nice looking cars. Um, I don't know if he'll show up again. I think he'll probably try to go sit on boards because when you sit on a board of directors, you can say things that sound good, that that have no meaning in them and that nobody can actually like track you down for and say and be like, dude, you need to actually make this right. So my guess is he shows up more on like boards of directors, but but it's a, like a yellow flag when he gets appointed to a board of directors because it means that uh, the, the company hiring him to the board um, is looking more for like platitudes as opposed to like somebody and isn't really doing their work to figure out and their due diligence to figure out like who this person is. Got it. All right. Well, um, we're running about 30 minutes. So uh, that was excellent, Ami. Thank you. Um, I don't know if you have anything else to add, but otherwise I think we'll wrap things up. No, that's it. Okay, great. And I, and I will say, um, you know, if this equity research thing doesn't work out for you, Ami, you definitely have a career as, doing voiceovers with accents. Um, so anyway, um, 
thanks everybody for listening in and I catch you back here uh, next time for I believe episode 15. Take care. The preceding has been presented for informational purposes only. None of the information contained herein constitutes an offer to sell or a solicitation of an offer to buy any security or investment vehicle, nor does it constitute an investment recommendation or legal tax accounting or investment advice by Hedgeye or any of its employees, officers, agents, or guests. This information is presented without regard for individual investment preferences or risk parameters and is general, non-tailored, non-specific information. This content is based on information from sources believed to be reliable. Hedgeye is not responsible for errors, inaccuracies, or omissions of information. The opinions and conclusions contained in this report are those of the individual expressing those opinions and conclusions and are intended solely for the use of Hedgeye's subscribers and the authorized recipients of the content. All investments entail a certain degree of risk, and financial instrument prices can fluctuate based on several factors, including those not considered in the preparation of the content. Consult your financial professional before investing. The information contained herein is protected by United States and foreign copyright laws and is intended solely for the use of its authorized recipient. Access must be provided directly by Hedgeye. Redistribution or republication is strictly prohibited. For more detail, please refer to the Terms of Service at Hedgeye.com terms of service.